Hi and welcome to the 22nd episode of Desert Island Punks. I'm Jake and I play in punk rock band Sunliner and this is my podcast where I ask friends of mine and people I admire in the punk rock scene what five albums, book and luxury item they would take if they were stranded on Desert Island. We talk about why they love those records and how those choices have influenced who they are today. This week I'm joined by Bristol folk punk Gaz Brookfield. Gaz is arguably one of the hardest working solo musicians in the UK right now and we hung out and drank cider in the backstage before his gig at the Royal Park Cellars in Leeds. I really hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, please rate and subscribe and check out the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Desert Island Punks. Thank you very much. So I've just done the last few gigs with Jake Martin, who never showers. Yeah. So it's a real pleasure to be he's doing like, a gig with freshly scented musicians. He's like, uh, I find Jake really funny because he doesn't really shower, but I don't think he ever really smells. So like, <laughs> it's natural must. Yeah, he's just like, quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so I'm going to whisk you away to this island. Yeah. Um, what will be your first record that you take? I wrote these down and sent them to you, didn't I? Yeah. I forgot. So my favourite all-time album is The Bends by Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be a bit of an obvious choice or no, a bit commercial or anything like that, but it's my go-to, weirdly, my happy time record. Yeah, it was not exactly the happiest record in the world, is it? Not the, not the happiest band in the world. No. I've always found miserable music uplifting. Yeah, sure. And I can't explain why particularly, but it's just, it's my comfort. Yeah. It's, my, it's my sort of... Um, Cozy Jumper album, you know what I mean? Uh, I was listening to it, like re-listening to it on the way down, because that's always been one of my favourite Radiohead albums as well. And there's like, as much as like there is, a, there's a lot of dynamics in that album, which you kind of don't tend to get in later Radiohead albums, I think, maybe. Sure. And there's like a lot of like, you know, like big guitar moments that you kind of like, slightly miss. They were actually a rock band in those days, you know? Yeah. They weren't, they weren't into the electronic side of things at all at that point, and I prefer that, personally. Yeah, sure. Like, they lost me around Amnesiac. I really, I really like music. I do too. Yeah. And after that, I held to the thief house moments as well, but that, yeah. I, they just lost me a little bit because when in the 90s I'd go and watch them and they would be playing Pablo Honey songs, yeah, yeah. creep, reluctantly. Got like and they'd be playing. Um, <laughs> uh, I saw them, the last time I saw them live was OK Computer, so that's 98. Oh, right, wow, that's not um, Yeah, thanks. <laughs> you were old. <laughs> so, like, when did you discover. Radiohead, like, was that like something you discovered growing up, or was that like? I guess I was like 16 or so. I had a, a mate who was a bit older, and he was into whatever he was into, and he would already heard this band, and then he would send me stuff, and that's like, it's always a mate who passes on. In those yeah, days, sure. pre-internet days, it's always a mate who says, "Have you heard of this band?" And then that's how you get into the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, it was like a, often like a a mate's brother has gone like, "Yeah, like, this is really cool," and then you get like. Oh, we always had, I mean, I was, so I'm a bit younger than you, but no, not loads younger, but I think just on the tail end of tapes when I was growing up. So, like, I, I remember, like, sort of ripping tapes or whatever, but, like, it was mostly, it was just as, like, CD burners were coming in. Yeah. So, like, we'd always, like, like burn all these CDs for our friends and make compilations for our friends and stuff like that. I remember my mate coming in with, like, all four 
Muse albums for me. Just like handing them over on these like CDs. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. We used to make mixtapes. I've still got a carry bag full of mixtapes in the loft. I want to go and dig them out now. Yeah, I mean, there's an absolute craft to it as well. You've got to do like the ebb and flow of the mixtape. You've got totally. to be, yeah. And go fit it all on 45. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. You've got to give the songs the right length. And... You don't want to end up finishing halfway through a song on one side. That's like the absolute worst. Yeah, so you always have to go, you're like, oh, I've got two minutes left at the end of the tape. Which band do I know who has famous yeah. lots of two minute songs? They go, right, go for your, like, like Mad Caddy, they've always got some shorts. Yeah, I think uh, Radiohead seemed to be like a big influence for so many different people, which is quite, I think it's kind of interesting because especially with their first, like the Benz is a bit more mainstream than their other stuff, but they got pretty weird pretty quick after the Benz mm. and they're still so like such a mainstream massive band. It's kind of like, uh, with, with another one of the choices which obviously I'll bring up later. Again, I thought it was quite, quite, a, not like, quite an interesting band to get so big. Yeah, um, it's, it's bizarre when you think about it, because yeah, I'll say over the computer, would have been in my top five, but because I've only allowed five for this, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I got, a, I can't have two of the same. If it was a top ten, I would. Yeah, yeah Okay, yeah. computer would be number two, I think. But um, it's it's phenomenal. Um, do you uh, do you take that into account with your songwriting? Do you like use it? Have you like? Is that I like would never influence? pretend to be that in- inventive or intelligent. <laughs> no, I wish I could be that good to, to write songs with that amount of uh, ingenuity and creativity. It's, that's the thing about them, isn't it? Is that there's, there's so much thought behind each song, in like each yeah. moment and experimentation and stuff. And you can tell. I mean, a band a band who sits around and jams together for hours and oh, let's try this and let's try that. I'm assuming that's how they do it because it sounds yeah, like that's how they do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't imagine Tom goes into the the studio and goes, right, boys, this is what I've written. You play this, you play yeah, that, yeah. you shut up, you play this. I don't think it works like that with them. I think it's a more it might it feels like a more fluid yeah. thing. Like when you see them live. I mean, when I saw them live in. in in the olden days. In the past. In the past. In days of yore. Days ago, the turned nightmares. Um, uh, they, would, they would never play the same song the same twice. Yeah. You'd sure. see them one time, I mean, they'd, Johnny Greenwood would play a lead guitar solo, and then you'd see them play the same song, and he'd play a completely different guitar yeah. solo over it. So I, I, I think they're a much more fluid band than I am. Right, just, okay. I only know four chords. So yeah. that's, you know. that's all you need, man. I mean, like if you think about, like especially some of the, I think even the later Radiohead stuff is still it can be quite sparse in terms of what they're actually using, sure, yeah. but it's still very well thought out, isn't it? Like, I just think they're brilliant. I actually think they're brilliant. Cool. Um, so we'll move on to number two. What was it? Oh man, pick one. I can't remember now. We wrote this down. Doesn't need to be in any order. Look in the thing. <clears throat> Leveling the land. Now, I listened to this podcast when you interviewed Jake yeah, Martin, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, whom we were disparaging his earlier, <laughs> and he picked Leveling the Land as well. And I think yeah. for similar reasons, it was just off the time, and we were at the right age. I think I was. I remember clearly being 13 years old. Mm-hmm. My sister, who's three years older than me, came home with a tape of Leveling the Land, right. and uh, such music wasn't really allowed in our household, and. We listened to it on Walkman. Yeah. With yeah. one earphone each. Not in the earphones, those orange furry ones. Yeah, I know you're on the yeah. Outwards one each. Yeah, yeah. One on one on each one. And we listened to it. And uh, there's just this bit at the end, the last track, where Simon screams, You bastards! <laughs> and we were all like, oh, That's rude. He said swear. And it was just like exciting. We were yeah. quite sheltered musically as kids. So, um, uh, how come? Like, uh, so just uh, well, my dad's a vicar. Was a vicar when he was uh, oh, right, working, okay. and um, so naturally we grew up in a Christian household, which meant that um, 
we weren't like it wasn't like a strict you know you shall not listen to this kind of thing but we yeah. just weren't exposed to that sort of side of, of, of life because yeah, we sure. didn't socialize with those kind of people like the secular world was alien to us yeah it's only when we started getting into our teens and for want of a better word, rebellion. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but my sister started yeah, going out with boys, and those boys would be into like Nirvana or something, and she'd come back with like a Nirvana tape, and my dad would be there, typical dad, oh, it's just noise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's how I think it, it, something as folky as Lenevelous to us seemed really, really edgy. Yeah, well, I suppose it's also because they were like, bit like with the Pogues as well, there were a few people that were doing something with like traditional music but making it kind of like, you know, contemporary moment, not yes. the right word. But yeah, like, no, it's the word. Yeah. But also they were the incredibly political and mm. angry band and I think that anger comes through in the lyrics and, and the aggression of the music, it, despite its tiddly diddly fiddle lines in a lot of it and some of it might be dismissed as as just folky dokey, but it's not. To me, it's a very important album politically. It seems to, yeah, it seems to like uh, inspire a whole generation of uh, musicians as well. Seems like it did. Yeah, I mean, it certainly inspired me. Yeah. And they they were my favourite bands for for the whole of my life since then. I absolutely adored them. You've played quite a few shows, haven't you? Well, that's the weird thing about life. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, yeah. So, like years ago, I was skint, and a friend of mine, who's a promoter, said, "Do you want some roadie in work for the day?" Um, for the Herbalers in Bath, at the yeah. Comedia in Bath. And, um, so I, I didn't get to meet them, I was just building the PA, you know, yeah. carrying shit out of the wagon and helping people build the PA and the lights and everything, and then packing it all down. Yeah. And then I was dispatched with a bag full of washing to the nearest laundrette to do their fucking laundry for them, which I thought, <laughs> this does not fall under the, this is under the job description of Rody, but I did it because I needed the money. Yeah. And then fast forward a couple of years and uh, I ended up doing a gig with them in Bristol. Um, just, I just popped them an email, I popped their manager an email and said, I know you've already got a support act, but is there any chance I could do 10 minutes at the beginning? You don't have to pay me, I just yeah, want to be yeah. able to say I've supported the levelers, they're my favorite, so. Um, and I didn't expect to reply, but he replied and he said, yeah, you can have 20 minutes if you like. Right. I was like, you're kidding me, really? <laughs> yeah. It's a wind up though. So I went down to the gig at the O2 in Bristol and I, I didn't speak to anyone, I kept my head down, don't speak and I've spoken to I'd never done a thing as big as that, yeah. a venue as big as that. Um, I didn't speak to them, I didn't know what to say. And then I was in the dressing room and the bass player, Jeremy, just came in and said, oh, don't hang around in here on your own, come in our dressing room, come and oh, hang out with us. that's awesome. And he just gave me a beer and introduced me to everyone and that fucking really, really nice bunch of dudes. Yeah. But their crew as well, I mean, the crew are amazing too. They're, they're monitor engineer jacks and front of house guys and their guitar techs. They're all just such a lovely family of people. Yeah, sure. And little did I know that that would lead to not going home that week. I yeah. finished my set and they were like, the tour manager was there just going, do you want to finish the rest of the tour? That's awesome. So I just got on the bus and yeah, yeah. didn't go home. And like, That's like the sort of thing you imagine when you were a kid. Do you know, like that's all I like, would never have been yeah. so bold to imagine that. Yeah. Well, do you know, you know that sort of thing where you're like, you know, the guitarist is going to break his hand. They're like, is there anybody you know what they say? <laughs> <laughs> like, that sort of is thing. Is there a guitarist in the house? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I'm very grateful for, to, to them for that. I and mean, then I thought, well, that's it. I've had my stint of luck. That's the break that everyone talks about. And yeah. um, off the back of that, I was then able to book up solo tours for the first time in places further afield than where I lived. Because yeah. I'd never played in Leeds, for instance, where we are now, like, <clears throat> until then. And I thought, well, no, if I book a little gig in Leeds, maybe some people will come now because they've seen me support the yeah. Leathers. I mean, it worked, and that's. The thing is, with Leathers fans, I owe them my whole career, to be fair. The, the thing is, with Leathers fans, is that they are so committed 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if people, they like you, you've got them for life. Yeah, exactly. And people that like the levelers love the levelers. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like the sort of thing where it's like people are all in the minute with that band. They're a great group. And again, the family thing, they're the, the people, that the, the fans of that band are like a, a big extended family of mm. the band and everyone's all, there's no them and us, it's like a group of lovely people. Yeah, I'm very, exactly. very lucky to be to have been uh, sucked into that and yeah. be part of it now ever since because they still invite me to come and play gigs with them now. Yeah. And it's like eight years ago that happened. And I'm still, I'm doing a few gigs with them this year on their, yeah, on, their on their tour, so I'm very lucky. So thank you, Lovelace. <laughs> <laughs> cool, um, what's going to be your third choice? Uh, the Holy Bible, Manning Street Breaches. Cool. So I was listening to this on the way down because I, I kind of missed the boat with Manix. I never really um, never really got into them. So I, that, that was like the first time I probably listened to the album. Um, it's quite interesting. It's not what I expected. No. No, I, I don't know When what. you think of the Manning Street Breaches, if you're only aware of the hits, yeah. that album is going to knock you for a loop. Yeah, it was really, I was really shocked, actually. Yes. Any album where the fourth word in the album is cunt, yeah. is good in my book. Yeah, sure. Right. Oh, okay, we're not... Okay, this isn't the widdly guitar soloness of their first two albums yeah. when they were a bit GNR and, and, and... Yeah, they sort of went back to their roots. They went back to the first studio they rehearsed in and recorded in and it sounds... Yeah. That's why it sounds like a demo. It does the kind of sound quite really yeah. stripped back and it's when they still had Richie in the band and they just wanted to make something that wasn't as commercial and rock and roll as, yeah. as Golden of the Soul was so they made this, this dark as fuck hard to listen to I mean I genuinely couldn't get into it the first time I listened to it yeah I thought it was quite it's kind of it's just odd like there's a lot of like angular mm. and kind of jarring yeah sort of oh it's, yeah the, the, the very final track is almost unlistenable because that high pitched squeal that comes in and that sort of metallic noise of clanking yeah and uh, it goes on like that for like a minute and if you listen to that with headphones it's, it hurts. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's some, I mean, Four Stones, Seven Pounds, and songs like that. The, some of the darkest lyrics that Richie ever wrote are on that album, and some of the best riffs that the James, Richie, the. The chap that disappeared. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. disappeared in mystery. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he, he was the lyricist predominantly in the early oh, days. Okay, I didn't know. The bass player, Nicky Wire, writes for a lot of the lyrics now, and all they'd give it to James, the guitarist. Mm-hmm. And he would sort of turn into songs with his riffs and stuff. And again, phenomenal guitarist, amazing riff player, lead guitarist and lead singer, always blows my mind. Yeah, it's like, going any, on. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Jimmy Eat World, you know, yeah. we'll get onto that in a minute. But Jim is the lead guitarist and the lead singer. And when you see them live, you're like, how do you, how do you, yeah, you no, guitar yeah. and sing at the same time? I'm always like absolutely amazed at that, especially when it's like not even, like, it's not like, again, like not conventional, not simple riffs, you know, it's like, quite complicated stuff going on yeah. and they're doing that while singing how better yeah. and also, also James, yeah. James Dean Bradfield from the Manics his, his version of his, his way of singing that kind of screaming almost but in tune yeah, like getting yeah. those higher register notes without going falsetto was really inspirational to me as, a, as someone who was learning to, to sing in bands when I was in my teens sure. yeah, yeah. I was thinking I want to be able to get higher with, with my, but also shoutier but also in tune so shouting in tune is something that, that I picked up from from him, I think, yeah. without without a doubt. And, and of their albums, before they had their big commercial success with Design for Life and... Um, the, see, that's the ones I know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and they didn't even get a number one with that. They didn't get their first number one until the next album, This Is My Truth, and with the quite slow, meandering sort of song, yeah. which I've forgotten the, word, the name of, but it wasn't by any stretch their best, by my opinion. 
But yeah, I mean, obviously Design for Life in Australia and everything must go. The real big hitters from the 90s. Is it 90s? Late 90s? Uh, I want to say 90s, but I might be Early noughties? I yeah. don't know. I'm not sure. But I mean, great songs, great album and everything. But for me, the awkward, angular, really dark stuff just appealed more. Yeah, Holy it Bible is. is a cracker. And then they released a 10-year anniversary edition. 10-year anniversary? Was it 20 20 year anniversary, yeah. sorry. And it was remastered to sound like a big rock record, and it's just not the same. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of takes away the charm, I suppose, doesn't it? Yeah. Didn't they do like a big tour recently for that? Or was it, it was a like, few years ago, yeah. and I, I went. Um, I went to see them in Southampton, and they played, the first half of the gig was them, just the three of them, the three original ones, just doing that album in full. And then they had a, a, a break, and then they came out with three extra members, and they did all the hits. Oh. And the crowd reaction was really upsetting to me as a big fan of that album because they played Holy Bible to a really lukewarm reception. Everyone's yeah. sort of going, mm, talking over it, and yeah, yeah. no one's singing along, banging their fists in the air, no one except me. And then they came out and they start with Design for Life, and everyone goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I know." And I just looked around at two thousand other people, and I was like, "You bastards!" <laughs> Which is funny because like that tour was based around that album, wasn't it? So, mm. but it's like I suppose that's again another sort of another one of those fan bases that like you know I think Manix fans are absolutely like obsessed. Yeah, like, but like with any band that gets really big, you're also going to pick up a lot of what my friend Jenny calls Radio One cunts. Yeah, <laughs> um, just people who only get into a band once they've heard them on the radio and they've been told they're cool, so they're okay to like them. Now. Yeah, yeah, I know. You mean. And those people aren't normal gig goers, so they don't really know how to behave at gigs. They don't really get the old stuff. And yeah, sure. It's great that they're into it and everything, but it's as we all know, as as hipster bastards, that it's great when you know the band from when it's just you and five other people. Why do you like this album? It sounds like shit. It's like, but that's part of the fun! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was there first as well, you don't know because you weren't there. With, everyone's got a little bit of that in them. Yeah, of course, yeah. Like, I think even as much, you know, like it's great to see bands do well. Absolutely. But, but yeah. like, there is like still that part of you that was like, yeah. you're my bad. <laughs> you were there at the beginning. Yeah. You're not allowed to like this one. All right, yeah. cool. So we'll move on to number four. Four. What did I say? Oh yeah, Futures, Jimmy Eat World. Yeah. So Jimmy Eat World are one of my favourite bands and they've got a lot of albums and I could have picked any of them and still say that this is one of my favourites. Um, but Futures for me is just ace. Bleed Americans, the one that everyone would go, oh, yeah, that's yeah. the best one because it's got all the, the big hits as I, you know, like, the, just take some time. Yeah, yeah, it's like the famous one really, yeah, isn't it? absolute yeah. belters. Um, but for me, Futures, the first track, when it opens up with that riff, it's just a belter of a riff, and you just crank it loud, and it's just a fucking rad. And the whole album's just amazing. It's quite like, it's quite, um, I don't know, because I was listening to, again, I was listening to on the way down, I was trying to do some a bit like a homework before, before I do these, and like, it's very much like, all everything, all time. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like very Jimmy World. It's like yeah. in like as much as that's not necessarily a bad thing. Or uh, I, I don't know. Sometimes it's like a band gets a sound. They've clearly found their sound in that album because yeah. like all the songs are like Jimmy World songs. Yeah. You know what I mean, they're not necessarily discovering anything new, but that doesn't make it bad. I think. Yeah, I, it feels very comforting to me, and it's it's an album from from when I was sort of I don't know early twenties when I. When I First heard that in mid twenties. Yeah. You like the right place, the right time. Whatever it came out, yeah. And I was I was in a pop punk band at the time. And oh wait, I didn't like, know you were in a pop punk band beforehand. Yeah, I've been in a few. Really? Yeah, then that was the past. We won't talk about that. <laughs> Are you not tempted to go back and do it again? Esse like, do essentially, what I do now is pop punk, but without all the drums and the guitars yeah, and yeah. stuff. I mean, my my albums, which are full band recordings, there is the the. I've always thought that the 
drum beat of pop punk is so close to the folky sort of stuff, that dum chicka dum stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, it really, the only real difference is a distortion pedal, and I, I love both genres, so I love lots of different genres of it, but I, I don't know, pop punk was a thing, it was fun, yeah. it was a good laugh, we all wanted to be Blink-182 when we were 20, because <laughs> uh, they were big when we were 20, and then, you know, Busted happened, and then we all realised, oh yeah, we look a bit silly now, don't we? Because <laughs> uh, they haven't even got a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> Would you not be tempted though to do like I don't know, like your next album to go full on like punk rock or like full on like I don't know, just give it something. I I wouldn't. Uh, I don't think I would choose. I wouldn't say oh, this album will be a pop one. It'll it'll yeah. just come out how it comes out. Fair enough. Yeah, I like sometimes I get in, like me is like hard. Really like to record like a thrash album or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like co completely like. I'd have to do it under, um, a, under a different name. Like, yeah, start another band. Me, me and Jake Martin and B Sides have definitely got a side project on the go in our minds yeah, of, sure. of just like proper thrash metal. And we're so called, much fun. <laughs> yeah, we're called the Gigantic Sky Bastards and, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. We melt your faces if we can ever be bothered to get off our asses and decide who plays what. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're <laughs> all going to play. We all just play the guitar. We all play electric guitar with a metal zone pedal on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. No, it's. Um, it was a thing, uh, and Jimmy is one of those bands. I wouldn't even call them pop punk personally. They have elements of pop. They're just kind of a rock band, aren't they? I think essentially, yeah. But they stuck with me. Whereas a lot of the other, the, the more daft side of pop punk, which is what I was doing when I was twenty, is uh, as you grow up, you realise that was kind of silly, and you should grow up. And, no, yeah, maybe sometimes. Yeah. I think I don't. I mean, I don't always agree with that, but I see your point. Like, I just think sometimes, you know, like, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, like, kind of growing out of stuff, unless it's, like, something silly, something more ridiculous. Yeah, I don't think I made the active decision to, to grow out of, of pop punk. I just sort of stopped listening to so much yeah. of it. And, yeah, I suppose it's just like listening to other things. Changing tastes or something, yeah. Yeah, just things evolve, I suppose. I still listen to it and, and yeah. go back to those. But, again, it's more the ones that stuck with me, like... Yeah, there's, like, like specific, specific albums or specific bands that you just, yeah. like... Stay, stay true to. Yeah. Cool. Well, I got to see them as well. Did you? For the first time. Finally got, to, got off my ass and went to see them. They, I heard they were playing like Slam Dunk. They were great. Yeah. I've heard the opposite. I've heard oh, people really? say, oh, they're so boring, all they do is stand there. And it's like, well, okay, so there are bands that leap around the stage and there are bands that don't, but they played the songs fucking flawlessly. Yeah. And, and me and my mate Carl, who's my best man at my wedding, my oldest friend, and, yeah. um, we were, he, we, he was in the band with me back in the day. Um, when we when they played songs from back in the day, you do get a little bit of a tear. Yeah, it was, a, it was a, a, a proper moment. So yeah, nice cool. to have seen them for the I, first I, time. I kind of would like to see them. Um, I think it's just one of those things where they're, they're not really one of those bands that like because if they do headline tours now, you know it's like quite a lot of money for the ticket. And I'm quite yeah, I'm they really, do massive stadiums and shit. Don't yeah, they? I think I'd you know I'll, I'll definitely go out and see them at a festival because um, I always think the bands like that are really interesting to see live because been doing it for so long, you know, they've usually got quite a big stage presence or quite a big mm. stage show, you know. Yeah, well we saw them at Slam Dunk, so that was among, you know, amongst you know, hundreds yeah. of other bands as well, so that was a good day out. Yeah, yeah. But it's good to go to other countries to see them actually, because they have a slightly smaller stage show. It's like we saw Green Day, not Green Day, we in Italy last year, we were my yeah. wife, and it was bizarre, because they're playing on this gigantic stage, outdoor thing, but there was only about a thousand people there. Really? So it was awesome. So we got like a proper intimate yeah, yeah. winter show, which was rad. I mean, they're doing an, another thing this summer in uh, Florence, 
coronavirus permitting. <laughs> and with Jimmy Eat World, Green Day, Weezer, yeah, yeah. all the big American pop punk bands and stuff. So oh, cool. We're going to that if the coronavirus lets us. I'm sure it'll be fine. When is it? June? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. I hope. Yeah. All the tickets now. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll see, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool, so we'll move on to album number five. So I wanted to put a Loudon Wainwright the third album in. He has made one million albums, yeah. and I didn't know which one. Some of them are brilliant, some of them are a bit less brilliant. Some of them are brilliant with one or two stinkers, but for me, I like his live ones best. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just the way that he performs, just him and the guitar, his sort of natural humour. He's got he's got quite a lot of like kind of that that humour comes across quite well, isn't it? Like, yeah. I was sort of listening to it like he's clearly got an incredible stage presence, and you can tell that just from the live albums. Yeah. Know, like, well, which is the one I put down? Was it Sodom Happy or was it? Uh, it was not that one. Career moves. Career moves. Career moves. Yeah, that's well. He's got a song called Career Moves, which I have covered in the past because it kind of just sums up. But what I, how I feel about what I do for, yeah, sure. for a living. I mean, he's he's he's, he's got the ability, ability to write a song that's completely insane and daft, and then write a song that cuts you straight to the to the bone and make you cry. And yeah. then a song he can write a song about absolutely nothing. He's got a song about just getting up and making a cup of tea and, and not getting run over, and that was a pretty good day. You know, if if you can turn that into a brilliant song, which he can. Yeah. He's just a fucking genius. Apparently, he's a total git. Oh really? Yeah. yeah he's not. That's disappointing. He's not been. He's not been favourably reported in the as, as a person. Right. You can tell. His children don't seem to think much of him. The he's the Wainwright dynasty, mm-hmm. Rufus and Martha and all the others. There's a few in there. Yeah, it's quite a few. <clears> yeah, yeah. So I was because uh, don't know much about much about him. So I wasn't sure if they were all like. Yeah, they're all linked. Yeah. They're all his. But no, I heard a story about how like he he got married when he was you know, in the seventies. He got mm. married and that night cheated on his wife and stuff. And he's been known to be a bit of an absentee dad, but then he puts all that stuff into his songs. Which yeah, yeah. Again, that's brave. That's fucking brave. In a way, I think to sort of put all that pain and all that. Yeah. Uh, openly admitting that, look, I'm not a fucking perfect person, and put that into a song and. Yeah, it's put it so out there. It's kind of it feels like a bit of a window into their sort of psyche. Mm. Which again, as a as a family man, I imagine his family probably aren't that chuffed about because, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I I write songs about every aspect of my life. Um, I don't have kids, so I, I don't have. Uh, Anyone to sort of protect in that way. Yeah, I would just sing about me and, and your dog and my dog. Yes, <laughs> um, but it's. Uh, I just. I just think he's one of the best song, songwriters there's ever been, and he's very underrated. Cool. Because he came from an era of around the sort of Bob Dylan sort of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, he's you even can, got a song about. You can see that, that influence. He's like. got a song about it where like Dylan had a car accident or was it a bike accident where he was in hospital, he broke his neck or something. Uh, I want to say bike accident, but I mean, yeah. don't quote me. And during that, in the song, it tells a story about how that um, when he was laid up for ages, he wasn't working, record companies were literally signing everyone because they were like, we got a gap in the market, <laughs> we just need singer-songwriter guys. <laughs> And so that's how he got his first record deal because oh, he was really? just there at the right time. And you yeah, can still yeah. definitely see like a, a link between the two as well, like a lot of his like, yeah. guitar playing, especially the way he phrases his lyrics and stuff like you know, because it's quite story based yeah. songs. Um, yeah, I think you can definitely see that sort of link. Yeah, I just think he's a, he's brilliant, and he's still touring. He's seventy seven or something like that, and he's back in the UK in September. Really, I have tickets. Really, oh yeah. man, oh, I hope it's good. 
Well, he was good. We saw him a couple of years ago, me and my friend Paul, um, the Lonely Tourist. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, Paul, he's a big fan of Loudons as well. And uh, he said to me, have you got tickets for the Loudon gig? And I said, yeah. And he goes, where did you get tickets? What seats did you get? Did you get stalker seats or did you get normal person seats? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm a big fan. I got third row back. And he was like, no fucking way, that's what I got. <laughs> because front row is definitely, you're a stalker. Yeah, Second yeah, yeah. row is you're pretending you're not a stalker. Third row is you're still a stalker, but you're hiding it much better. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can, you can of, act cool about yeah. it. Yeah. You can sort of say, I'm Oh, looking. what, I'm here? <laughs> I'm yeah. so close. I'm really close to you, but not so close as it's dodgy. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, what would be your book you'd take? Okay, so I don't read a lot of books, mm -hmm. purely because I'm just not very good at it. I'm not patient enough to Fair sit enough. and read things. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm fully admit that. I don't know, that's a, probably a flaw in my character. But, no, uh, not really. I'm more of a, a movie person. I like movies. I've always loved movies. Mm -hmm. So if I could take a movie, that'd be cool. But yeah, um, that's my luxury item. I could take a, like a portable DVD player or something. You, you and, can have a movie. And I, I can watch movies. So I don't know. I, there's too many movies to choose from. But if I was going to choose a book, it would have to be um, Belinda Blinks, obviously. <laughs> Strong choice. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so I suppose people don't know. That is uh, my dad wrote a porno. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, the the porno that the dad writes. Yeah. So my wife got me into this not porn. Um, <laughs> that's a different story. She's been telling me about this podcast for for a couple of years because she drives a lot for work and so do I, obviously. She said, oh, "Great, it's such a funny way to pass the time. It's just that you look like a crazy person because you're sat in traffic yeah, and yeah. you're crying with laughter." And I was like, it can't be that funny, surely. So I started listening to it, and now I'm hooked. I just, since I started listening to it a few weeks ago, I haven't listened to any music at all. Really? I've just, every time I get in the car, every time I put my headphones on, yeah. um, I'm just listening to My Dad Wrote a Porno, and it's just, it's so wrong it's right. Yeah, it's, it's so fucking great. If I could take all of that on the desert island with me, that would be great. Yeah, well, you can have that. You can have that. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I, we spent one tour, I think, just listening to that because it just kills time. You know, like a seven-hour journey. It makes yeah. My four-hour drive up here today just went by like that because I was listening to like half a season three. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. All right, cool. And your, so your luxury item would probably be my guitar. The guitar. How could you not? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Michael, you you play guitar. Yeah. I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Like, how often is it you just sit around your house and you think, I've got nothing to do, and you just instinctively reach for your guitar? Yeah. It's the first thing I think of whenever I've got downtime. I just pick up the guitar, and I, I don't think I could be in a world without one. Yeah, sure I certainly know the four chords. Yeah, well, you could learn, you've got plenty of time to learn new chords. I'll be on that island learning the fifth chord. <laughs> so I don't think it really exists. The fifth chord, isn't that, uh, isn't that a um, status quo album there is? Is it really? I think it's like the search for the fifth chord. It might be the fourth chord, but Amazing. it's like, um, yeah, I think they kind of... My friend Paul Tierney, again, Lonely Tourist, he was in the pub the other day and he said that he met status quo's merch guy. And he... <laughs> Just this mad old like merch dude who's been doing their merch for forty years and was just had all the stories. Yeah, I bet. just telling him. And Paul's he just loves that, and he was just like enthralled by this merch guy's whole name dropping left, right, and centre. When we was in Munich, yeah, with yeah, yeah. stones, or you know, off, off he goes. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, such a. I think that'd be a very entertaining gig, like a very entertaining like uh, job to have. Or the merch guy for a big rock band. Yeah. Yeah, because you get all of the rock and roll excess and madness without any of the nonsense of being in the band. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can just observe from afar. Yeah. That'd be rad. Um, so would you be, do you think you'd do well on this island? No. No. I'm not good with your own time. No, I'd burn easily. I'm quite fair. I'd, I'd, I'd 
catch fire immediately, <laughs> a vampire. Um, and I have no discernible survival skills. Right. Really. I don't think. Would you? Uh, oh, I'd be dreadful, yeah. I don't think any of us would be, really. Do you, do you watch these programmes where they're supposed to go on and survive, the Bear Grylls ones? Yeah, I've not seen them, but... But they, they get a bit of training before, like, prior to going to the island about yeah. how to how to tear the guts out of a snake and eat it and all those terrible things. Do you not know how to do that already? Well, no, not professionally. I just, sort of, <laughs> I just sort of wing it, you know. An amateur. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, it, it, they, they, they always end up being such twats. Yeah. And they always end up having to kill a caiman. It happens every time. They go on there and they're, what, they're poor fucking caiman. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, he probably wasn't even there. He was probably shipped in with Bear grills, And they were like, oh, they've been eating nothing but fucking snails for weeks. And yeah. then suddenly this miraculous crocodile appears. <laughs> and then some bastard has to kill it. And that's all. It's just a bit dark, isn't it? So would you try and escape? Or would you just accept your fate? I would, I would try and sort of send signals. Mm-hmm. I'd try and burn stuff, maybe. If I yeah. could, you burn, uh, like some smoke, send smoke up. I don't really know. signals or something like that. If yeah. there's something to burn, yes, um, there'll, there'll be stuff to burn. Well, if it's hysteria, it's like a desert island. It's like a little mound of <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got you got sand. a bit. Of sh- you got shrubbery and shit. One palm tree. You got more than that. No, I got uh, a bit more yeah, than that. Yeah, you okay. have a bit more than that. Yeah. See, now it sounds like lost. I mean, and it's then not we'll exactly like a hatch, and then we'll spend ages trying to work out what's in the hatch, yeah. and it turns out there's just a man in a hatch, and there's no reason for that, and then you watch it for five more seasons, and then it's all bollocks. Yeah, fucking hell, I remember, I remember that. Did you watch it till the end? I never watched it till the end, no, I remember no, I watching the first series, and I enjoyed the first series, and totally. I carry on. Yeah, um, I started the second one, and they were like, oh, we got in the hatch, and it turns out they don't answer any of the questions from the first one. And then they uh, just lay on a whole load of new questions. To well, didn't they quite famously say that we didn't have a plan yeah. for like the middle? Yeah, and then there was the writer's strike, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they ended up with like the cleaners coming in to do the scripts, <laughs> and it all fell apart for a bit in the middle. But yeah, I think I'd be that guy. Um, cool. And then one last question before we finish, and that is, you stumble across a book, and of that book, there is a spell, and that spell takes you back home. But when you get home. All music is in the back. <gasps> no way! Uh, oh, I don't know. I'm allowed to. Uh, all music is Nickelback. Even the music you write. Even my music's Nickelback. Yeah, yeah. Say, so I write a song, and Chad yeah. Kroger comes up and yeah. goes, "Thank you for writing my yeah, song." Yeah, well, you write a song, you need to be, however hard you try, it comes out as how you imagine. Every meter is a poor man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh my god! Doesn't bear thinking about. And I was thinking back on that fucking island. Has anyone ever chosen the Nickelback option? Yeah, quite a few people have. Seriously. Yeah. I wouldn't have words with these people. Yeah. Were any of those people Nickelback? <laughs> no, unfortunately we haven't had them on. Uh, if, I, I would quite like to have them on and ask them this question. <laughs> like, Hell yeah. See how it uh, ends up. Remember the video for the one where it starts, look at this photograph. Yeah, it's okay, yeah. I can't watch it past that because it makes me laugh so much. Is it, it's just so daft. Isn't it that one where it's like, look at this graph. <laughs> yes, oh, the mashup one of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Didn't he marry Avril Lavigne? He did, yeah. I think Avril Lavigne left... Some 41 guy. Yeah, and went to Chad Kroger. Yeah. Wow. That's the thing. That's well, the thing so that happened. How the other half live, eh? Yeah. Crazy life. Um, right, before we sign off, is there anything you would like to push? Um, I, I've got a new album out, mm-hmm. Lost Folk, that's out. You can, you can buy it on CD and um, on vinyl. Well, you can listen to it on Bandcamp. All right, cheers, man. Thank you very much. Let's go and play a pop concert.